Question 44. What is baptism? Baptism is the washing with water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It signifies and seals our adoption into Christ, our cleansing from sin, and our commitment to belong to the Lord and to his church. Question 45. Is baptism with water the washing away of sin itself? No. Only the blood of Christ and the renewal of the Holy Spirit can cleanse us from sin. Matthew 28:19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Luke 3:16. John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. The word of God for the people of God. Be, to God. be seated. Thank you. Well, welcome to Grace Harvest Church. I'm glad you're all here. I pray that today you're encouraged through the scriptures, and that's one of the main things that scriptures do. They encourage us, and they keep us going and enduring the hardships of our life. So today we're going to talk a little bit more in detail about baptism, uh, what baptism is. So last week we kind of touched on baptism and the Lord's Supper in general, but today we will look at baptism more specifically we will see that baptism is this outward physical sign of an inward spiritual reality that by faith in the blood of christ we are cleansed from our sin first i'll kind of look and just kind of do a little bit of because baptism is so big throughout all of scripture i'll do a kind of just a brief kind of history of touching on some things about baptism throughout uh, the scriptures, then I'll get kind of all a little bit more into the scriptures that we read today, which is go and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and what that means, and then looking at uh, baptism and what it accomplishes of bringing judgment upon our sin and bringing new life in Christ. So let's look, a brief history of baptism. We read Luke 3.16 that John was baptizing. He was baptizing with water, John the Baptist. He took on that name, right? He's baptizing in water. But he mentioned that Jesus would be coming and he was mightier than John and his baptism would be different. And so there's something different and unique about what John was doing in baptizing in water and what Jesus would do. We see that it was something that they knew about. They understood baptisms some. And so when Jesus himself is baptized by John, we read that in Scripture. And then we read <clears throat> that Jesus, before his ascension, in the Scripture he read in Matthew 28, to go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So we see that history of baptism. 
with Peter in 1 Peter 3, 20 through 21, Peter refers back to Noah and he begins to talk about baptism in reference all the way back to Noah. That's in 1 Peter 3, 20 through 21. Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 2, he talks about baptism in reference to Moses. So he goes back and talks about baptism uh, in reference to Moses. That particular scripture in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. That is the Red Sea. He's talking about the Exodus when they were led out of Egypt. They were under the cloud that followed them and then they went across the Red Sea. It was very specifically, they were led by God this way. And then he says in verse 2 of chapter 10, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So he's talking about baptism with references all the way back to Moses. Peter's talking about baptism with references back to Noah. They all have to do with water. They all have to do with crossing water, coming out of water, uh, going through water into life, being delivered out of something into life. All of these imageries are very important all through Scripture. With Moses specifically, in Exodus chapter 2, verse 3, uh, talking of Moses' mother, there had been a decree that the baby Hebrew boys, they were multiplying so fast, and Egypt feared them, uh, that they were told to kill, and they were telling the midwives to kill the baby boys born. Of course, uh, Moses' mom doesn't want to do that, so she hides them. And in Exodus 2, it says she... And verse 3, Exodus 2, verse 3 says, when she could hide him no longer, and it says previously she hid him for about three months, so when she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket. And what Tim Mackey and the Bible Project brings out, a Hebrew scholar, the, this word, you might not see it, this word for basket is the same word for ark. She built him a little ark. It's the exact same word of Noah's ark. So there's this real drawing out of water when she hides him no longer she took for him a basket and look how she made it she she made it out of reeds or bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and and, and pitch she, she tarred it just like similar to the way the ark was built she built him a little ark and she placed him the, the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank and just looking at that ark that little that Moses was in and his name means uh, to pull out or draw out. That's what Moses means, to draw out of water, to pull out of water. He's rescued through and out of water. All these are very uh, steeped in baptism, in the baptism of waters. And so this baptism of water coming out of, out of death, rescued, I mean, Moses is rescued from death, being death, rescued into life, uh, and scripture and talking about baptism is a rescue from our sin. It's a rescue from sin and death. No longer do we live as slaves to sin. Baptism reminds us. It reminded the people of their deliverance from Egypt. It reminds us of our deliverance from the power of the slavery of sin. That we no longer walk in sin, but we battle against it in the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, when Paul 
use this imagery of being baptized into Moses, the little ark, you know, and just all this, all that was happening in 1 Corinthians 10. He uses that imagery similar to how he uses it in Romans 6, where he's talking about baptisms being buried with Christ and death and raised to walk in newness of life. He uses this imagery of Moses and the baptism and the deliverance out of Egypt, crossing the Red Sea, that baptism. He uses it to say to no longer walk in sin, like you're delivered out of something. What baptism teaches us is to no longer walk like those slaves like you walked in Egypt. And so in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul uses that baptism imagery, and he says, so you all, he points to you, don't, don't walk uh, in your sin any longer. He talks about uh, their, the people in Egypt when they came out, what they do, they built the big calf, you know, the big golden calf. They went back to their slavery to sin. They went back to idolatry. So he says, don't do that. Come on, we've been baptized. Remember what baptism means? What baptism symbolizes? You're out of that now. You've been rescued through it. You're out of it. This is the encouragement of the scriptures, the endure trials, endure hardships. Yeah, I know it was kind of rough, but don't just immediately run back to your sin. You've been baptized out of that. You've come through those waters of death and God's judgment, and you've been led out of them into life. So he's using this imagery of baptism to explain these things. Don't walk in that. Don't walk in sexual immorality anymore, he tells them. Uh, he lists all of these types of sins. Don't grumble like they did in the desert. Remember when they were grumbling and complaining, you know, and the serpents had to come out and sting them and bite them? He said, don't do that anymore. Don't live like that anymore. Uh, baptism reminds us of these things. It reminds us of coming out of sin. And therefore, he comes to 1 Corinthians 10 after he's teaching all about that baptism. And he says in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, he says, so no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Yes, you still face temptations. Yes, sin still has its lure. But God, look for God who is faithful in the midst of this temptation. And don't turn back to your old way. Remember your baptism. Remember he's given you power out of that old sinful life. He's delivered you out of it. So baptism is this imagery that we keep and that is taught all through scripture that we are no longer slaves to sin. No longer walk in sin. Walk in the way, the new life that Christ has provided for you now. So when we see Jesus... And we see him, that's the brief history, kind of, of some baptism verses that's kind of get you, you know, flowing and how much baptisms all throughout Scripture. When we get to Jesus, we're trying to find out what he means when he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> now, in our New City Catechism, Colin Hansen, he, uh, in the commentary, said this. He said, Baptism is a sign and a seal that we have been adopted into the family of God. And the family of God, he explains, is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that have loved one another, just listen to this, in perfect unity since before creation. So there's always been this relationship of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is, love isn't created. Love isn't a created thing. God is love. So when you see that, the Father and love is relational. 
And so we see that the Father loved the Son, the Son loved the Spirit, the Spirit loves the Son and the Father, and there's this beautiful harmony relationship. And Jesus taught this. He was constantly teaching this throughout Scripture of this relationship that he had with the Father. We sang about it this morning, about the Father's love for the Son, the Father's relationship with the Son, the Son's relationship with the Father. This is what uh, Jesus in part is talking about when he says go and baptize them in the name of the father son and the holy spirit there's this beautiful union of the one god who is triune so jesus he goes on to say colin hansen at jesus's baptism we notice all three persons and so when you read in for instance matthew who records this in chapter 3 verses 16 through 17 Jesus himself was baptized. He goes to be baptized by John. We kind of know John goes, hey, I should be baptized by you. You know, what's going on here? Jesus says to do it to fulfill righteousness. But the, the main thing I want you to see here is in this baptism uh, is that Jesus is there and he's baptized by John. It says he immediately went up from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him. And he saw, this is John seeing and he records this later, John the Baptist uh, testifies to this, he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on Jesus. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son, and who I am well pleased. So you see the Father there, you see the Spirit coming, you see this triune God, and the Father speaking of the Son, this is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. So you have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit at Jesus' baptism. You just see this uh, triune God, knowing God, and baptism is an expression of that. So Jesus commands us to go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. So one in that, we see the Father boasting in his Son, Jesus, and the relationship is unmistakable. This is my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased. I mean, he wants you to see that. The Father's pleasure and love in the Son, boasting in the Son, Jesus. And Jesus is baptized. What happens? He's led into the wilderness to be tempted there. And just like Adam and Eve were tested, so Jesus goes out and, be, and is tested. Adam and Eve, when they were tested in Genesis 3, they were lured away from the Word of God which said you can eat from all these trees, it's all yours, the beautiful relationship you have and everything, but not from this one tree. Don't eat for that, for in the day you will surely die. They were lured away from the word of God, and they were lured into uh, the fact that this tree was to uh, be desired to make one wise. They were lured. This tree won't, you won't die. This tree will make you wise. So Adam and Eve, they were loved by God, they were blessed by God, they were blessed by God in this garden to eat from every tree in the garden except this one. It was good, all of it was good, it was all theirs to enjoy in life. Only this one tree was forbidden to eat from because it was not good. It was not good for them. Um, and it would cause them to die if they ate from it. But they do that. They sin, they fall into sin. Jesus is baptized and he is led into the wilderness to be tempted by this same serpent, the same devil, and he comes to him 
And he does the same thing. He does the same thing he did with Adam and Eve, basically with Adam and Eve. He's like, God doesn't really love you all the way. You know, he's kind of holding some things back from you. You know, he's holding back this one tree from you, right? He's holding back, you know. And so there's this lure that God doesn't love them, that God is holding this tree back from them, and it'll actually do something good for them. It'll give them extra wisdom. It's a tree that will make them wise, and it is not. God has said exactly the opposite. It'll bring death. It's not good for them. And yet the serpent says it is good for them. He's saying it. Like really the temptation is God is holding out on you. God doesn't really fully have every good thing for you. And so he does the same thing with Jesus in the wilderness. He's doing the same thing. One of the interesting notes is in Matthew 4 when he's, uh, Jesus is tempted after 40 days of, of fasting Satan comes to him, the tempter, and says to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Now, now listen to that. Uh, if you are the son of God. Now listen in Matthew 4, 6, when the devil took him to the holy city, set him on a pinnacle temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. Now compare what the devil is saying there with what Jesus announced. Do you remember what Jesus said? You, this is my beloved son. You know something the devil isn't saying there? If you are the son of God, what's he leaving out? What word is he leaving out? Beloved. He ain't going to remind him that he's loved. Loved by God already. Fully loved and content and has everything. And he does the same thing in, in the in the garden with Adam and Eve, you know, he's not going to remind Jesus he's the beloved son. No, he just says, if you are the son of God, he doesn't want to remind him of the love. See, this is the relationship. And of course, Jesus succeeds where Adam and Eve failed. Jesus overcomes uh, in the wilderness and he continues to, Jesus continues to overcome all the lies and the lures of the devil that are all rooted in that God doesn't love you. So Jesus commands us to go out and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Like, teach this relationship. Teach them all that I've commanded you. There's so much that Jesus taught, and especially when we read through the Gospel of John, we read about that Jesus and almost everything that he's teaching, he always goes back to this relationship that he has with the Father. Uh, John begins his Gospel like that. In the beginning, like in Genesis, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was God, and the Word was with God. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. So there's this relationship of the Word and God together. And that that Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That the Word was Jesus. So they had this relationship. So John begins with that. In the beginning, there was this relationship. And he moves in there, and Jesus comes on the scene. John comes on the scene. He's baptizing. Jesus comes on the scene, and Jesus begins to continually teach of this relationship that he has with the Father all through John. Uh, we might look at John 2.16. Of course, that's where he goes in the temple, and he's turning over the tables and driving everyone out. And he sells, he sold pigeons. He says, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. My father's house. He begins to call, which no one had done, God, which is Yahweh, God, the one true living God, his father, my father, 
ownership. My father. I'm his son. I'm his beloved son. I'm his only son. He's saying these things, and the people get it. They see it. And in John 5, 18, it said when uh, what, this was while why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, so Jesus was healing on the Sabbath, they saw that as breaking the Sabbath, but here's the thing I want you to see that is a conclusion of what Jesus was doing, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. This is why they sought to kill Jesus. It was very obvious what Jesus was doing when he kept saying, this is my father's house. I and the father are one. I don't do anything unless I see the father do it first. Over and over again, I and the father are one. He's like, he's calling God's father. He's making himself equal to be with God. They sought to kill him uh, rather than to believe that he was. John five nineteen. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. <clears throat> we see that relationship. Jesus just outright saying it. For the father loves the son. <clears throat> Understanding this. This is baptism. Go out and baptize them in the name of in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. So you see all through it, the Father loves the Son. Baptize them in that name. <clears throat> so Jesus, all through Scripture, is, is teaching that. The, how much the Father loves him, how he does everything through the Father. The Father has sent him. You must believe that the Father has sent the Son. It's this relationship of sending. <clears throat> but Jesus also teaches extensively on the life of the Holy Spirit through, through uh, John. He even, uh, it's hard to say exactly where he begins, but in John 3 with Nicodemus, he, he emphasizes being born of the Spirit. That being born again, born from above, is being born of the Spirit. He talks about the power of the Spirit. He talks about you can't see the kingdom, you can't enter the kingdom without the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is teaching about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and there he's teaching very... Uh, and emphatically about the Holy Spirit and being born of the Spirit. So the teaching of Jesus is this. It's the teaching of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. To see or enter into God's rule and reign is by the Holy Spirit. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are working, and you must be born of the Holy Spirit. I want us to look at this imagery of being baptized and the waters being an imagery of God's judgment. This is, this is something that God is doing all through Scripture, especially in what we talked about in that brief history of baptism, that baptismal waters had to do with the judgment of God coming. That's what came in Noah's time, is this water of God's judgment upon sin and Here's what Colin Hansen says in the New City Commentary. He says, in his baptism, Jesus identified with all of us who, because of sin, will someday die as a result of God's judgment. See, when God passed that judgment in Genesis 3.19 and said, they eat from, you will surely die, we all will die. We still face that judgment. 
Paul concludes that in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. There's no getting out of that. We will all face that judgment and die. And Colin Hansen brings it out, but then he says, so water has been a sign of God's judgment since Genesis 6 and 7 with Noah, that judgment coming upon uh, the world that's uh, every intention and thought of the heart is evil continuously, and God's bringing his judgment upon that. So when God judged the wickedness of man, what did he do? He flooded the earth. He destroyed uh, all but Noah and his family. And Jesus, though he would never sin, he would die at the hands of sinful men, and he would absorb the wrath of God for us, for that sinful world. Jesus is identifying in baptism with us. He doesn't have any sin, but he's identifying with us. He goes, let's do this to fulfill all righteousness. So Jesus is identifying fully with humanity and taking our judgment upon himself, even though he hasn't sinned. He's taking our sin upon himself in his baptismal waters and being raised again talking about his resurrection, that death would not rule over Jesus. This imagery is very powerful. It's very connected to the water's judgment, Jesus identifying with our sin. He that knew no sin, 2 Corinthians 5.21, he that knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. So he's doing that. He's uh, acting that out. I'm fully identifying with humanity. And so we see this sign of judgment coming. Jesus teaching about it in John 5, uh, verses 21 through 24. Jesus says, For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. So you see this Father-Son always in the, these these most times in these relationships of his teaching. Verse 22, he says, For the Father judges no one, but he's given all judgment to the Son, that they may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Equal honor, the Father and the Son. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. There's this relationship, this baptism into the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You, You need to understand and know this relationship of the triune God. Truly, truly, this is verily, verily, truly, truly, he's like saying amen, amen to what he's about to say before he says it. So he's already saying that it's true. This is either actually true or complete uh, arrogance (laughs) to be saying uh, verily, verily, truly, truly. He's already saying amen to what he's going to say and then he says it. It's just powerful. This is the he spoke like no one else that ever spoke, they said. Um, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me, in that relationship, has eternal life. But then he says, he does not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. These are these baptismal imageries that Jesus is speaking of, of the baptismal of judgment of our sin. 
See, you're going to have to pay, someone is going to have to pay the price for sin. And you can do that now by faith in the blood. When you go through baptism, what you're doing is you're announcing and you're proclaiming the gospel. My faith is that my sins were judged in Jesus on Calvary. He was baptized. He was showing forth the gospel that he would die for me in my place where I deserve to die. And your baptism announces and proclaims that good news that your sin and the guilt of your sin was paid for by Jesus on, cross, on the cross of Calvary. If you, if you don't accept that in this life, then you're going to have to accept it on your own before God when you stand before God. It's either standing in Jesus and that Jesus has borne and paid for your sins through his blood, or you're going to stand and give an account on your own. But what Jesus is saying, if you believe in him who has sent me, you'll have eternal life. You won't come into that kind of condemnation, that kind of judgment, because you have passed from death into life. This is what baptism is. In John 3, he talks about to Nicodemus, uh, uh, he's still continuing there in that conversation in, verse th- in chapter 3, verse 16, he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whomsoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And he's promising that the love of God has done something in the gift of his Son. And he says after that in 17, because God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, like bring judgment and condemnation, but that the world might be saved through him. But then at the conclusion of John chapter 3, Jesus says, for in John 3, 34 through 35, he says, for he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the spirit without measure, talking about the father giving the son and the spirit. You have this triune uh, teaching again. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. And then in verse 36, he says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So God sent his only Son into the world because he loved and he gave the gift and he didn't do it he did it so that we, the world would not be condemned that would that would find life but if you do not believe in the son if you do not obey the son because belief and obedience follow each other belief has this transforming effect of following jesus being his disciple following in all that he's commanded following in baptism in the Father, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that is where you find this life. But if you don't, the wrath of God still remains on you. It hasn't been removed. You're still responsible for your own sin, and you will face judgment for that sin. And so when we get to this question, is baptism with water the washing away of sin itself? We say no, only the blood of Christ and the renewal of the Holy Spirit can do that it's this faith faith alone in the blood of christ and the holy spirit being present to uh, renew us and cleanse us from sin paul confirms that in romans 5 he says therefore since we have been justified by faith we have peace with god through jesus christ 
And then in verse 9, he specifically says, justified by faith, we have this peace with God. How? Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood. We, we are not uh, justified through baptism. We're justified by faith in his blood. But baptism represents that. It is an outward sign of what has occurred inwardly. We're justified by his blood. And it says, much more we shall be saved by him from the wrath of God. So we're saved from that judgment upon sin only through faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. Can somebody say amen? Amen. amen. So the only way to peace with God is to be saved from the just and righteous wrath of God. Now, that's interesting to say that because, see, humanity has a hard time grasping the wrath of God because uh, James says that our anger, our wrath, does not accomplish the righteousness of God. Man's anger is always mixed with unjustness, uh, not knowing of some of the facts of all this, but God has and knows all, and therefore his uh, wrath is just and righteous that's what we read about in the psalms today about his judgment upon his enemies and the nations and the fallen it's it's a justice that is pure righteous and holy and that's hard for us to grasp isn't it like we we don't have a, a sight of that in in people when they're carrying out uh, justice it's always flawed by sin but god's wrath is just and righteous and the way out of that is only in the sacrifice and offering of the atonement of Jesus Christ and his shed blood on the cross. That's how powerful, powerful the blood of Jesus is. It cleanses from all sins and you have passed out of judgment into life and life eternal through that blood. Absorb some of that love today, church. So absorb some of the encouragement of the scripture to say that love is worth living for and it's not worth dabbling in sin about, right? It's worth coming out of sin. It's about remembering our baptism and what it means that we're buried with Christ uh, into his death. As Paul goes on to explain in Romans, the next chapter, chapter 6. So we see that baptism does not save us. Only the blood of Jesus has the power to do that. And in baptism, we proclaim the gospel and, and announce that we are saved only by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Our baptismal waters symbolize great things. We need to know that we have had faith in Jesus, that we have had faith in the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus, and we need to go and be baptized in water after we have that faith and say, I'm signing up fully for this. This is a recognition, an outward sign of what has happened in my heart. That God, through his shed blood, by faith in his shed blood, and Titus says, by the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is active in our faith in the blood, and my baptism is signing and sealing that it's like that's what's happened to me and i'm joining the church <laughs> all the church worldwide that puts their faith in jesus and blood and baptism will never go away it will always be the outward sign of those who belong to jesus and they know they're baptized in the love that the father had for the son the son had and the father and son had for the spirit 
and that all three are involved in this loving relationship that they've been invited into. Baptize us. Go, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And always know that God loves you in that loving relationship and that he's not just well-pleased with Jesus, but he's well-pleased with you because you are in his Son and you are in that relationship and he loves you like he loves his Son. You belong to Christ you are united with him, and baptism signifies that. Amen? Next week, I will further discuss the Lord's Supper and a little bit more of the meaning of this that we partake in as a church body all throughout the world. This will never go away either until Jesus returns. We remember his death until he comes through what we do right now. It's a remembering, a remembrance of the death of Jesus until he returns. Paul instructs the Corinthians, he says, in the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and gave thanks for it. And he said, take and eat. This is my body given for you as a church body in Jesus. Let's partake of the bread together. Jesus, you gave it all. You gave your body up, your very body up upon the cross to be crucified to die for us. We thank you, Lord. We partake by faith in your body, Lord, that is the bread of life. We thank you. In like manner, he took the cup. And he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood given for you for the remission of sins. Take and drink of it. And when you do, do this in remembrance of me and remember my death until I come. Let's partake of the cup together, church. Thank you, Jesus, for offering up your body and upon that tree shedding your blood, your innocent blood, for our guilty blood for absorbing in your body the wrath of God and shedding your blood, your innocent blood, so that we could have peace with God our Father through you, Jesus. We praise you and we thank you. And we ask that you anoint our hearts right now as we praise Jesus and we lift him up, the name above all names, the name of Jesus. And we confess that we desire to build our life Upon you, help us, Lord, to worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. May your heart be filled with the love of God in Christ Jesus. May you be baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire and be led to love others as you go out and meet them. In Jesus' name, amen. Love one another. Good job. Looks good to see you.